0: Well, we are rounding the corner to the holiday season, and um, uh, I think we're all anticipating, really excited. I know Katie and I went to the storage unit yesterday, and we brought uh, a a truckload of Christmas decorations to the new house. One truckload. There's more to come. Yes, it is a sickness. (laughs) But it's a good thing. We're excited about that, and hopefully it could take advantage of some beautiful weather to get up on the roof and string the lights like we want to do. And and I'm sure you're probably in that mode of operation as well. We're going to be doing the same thing here at the church in a few weeks, getting ready to decorate, as Katie mentioned. So if you can come out and be be a part of the hanging of the lights outside and inside and preparing our church building for that, that would be wonderful. Uh, But uh, we're also preparing for Thanksgiving. You can't pass by... I mean, it's hard. It really is hard when you go to uh, the store and you see all the Christmas things. Now it's like, wait a minute, we have Thanksgiving. We still have Thanksgiving to do. Uh, Oh! (laughs) Well, how come you're not bring it to share with us this morning. <laughs> Liz, <laughs> oh, you're eating it, you're eating it all, all for yourself. So anyway, uh, yeah, uh, so any rate, uh, so we have Thanksgiving coming up, and one of the things about Thanksgiving, I think for all of us is, is just the traditions, right? Uh, this past Thursday at the law school, we had what's called a Friendsgiving. I know that probably many of you are involved in that, maybe in your workplaces or school, and so we have a tremendous amount of international students uh, and faculty members That come and Thanksgiving is lost on anybody that's not from the United States, right? Like what does Thanksgiving mean to somebody who is from another country? Not really anything, uh, because it's something that is a United States holiday. So we celebrated Friendsgiving. We gave a little history about that. And I love the reaction of some of the students because we had traditional Thanksgiving. We had the turkey, we had the mashed potatoes, we had the gravy and we had stuffing and i don't i can't tell you how many students that came to me and said lol what is that <laughs> what is that sounded like the israelites in the wilderness when the manna came down and they said what is this you know uh, i I'm, I'm not sure what manna tasted like but Stuffing can be, depending on how it's made, and we all have our opinions about the way stuffing ought to be made. Or dressing, uh, that there, we all have our favorites uh, in that, right? Okay, so those are those are our traditions. I uh, I wanted to share with you something that is uh, kind of an heirloom, something that is very special for for our family uh... and i asked katie to bring the dish that is made in we have this during every holiday at the kozak leonard house uh... and um it, it it's this is a just a beautiful corn dish uh... that has been passed i don't know how many years has this been in the family dad I would guess close to yeah so uh, <laughs> So in this, in this dish is made uh, a scallop corn recipe that has also probably been passed down just as, just as many years. Um, but this tradition, some people in our family really love. Like we cannot have Thanksgiving without the scallop corn. But for Katie and I, my family is going to hate it that I preach here every week because I tell family stories every week. But uh, for Katie and I, this is kind of a, a contention for us because, first of all, neither one of us like this dish, not like, the, like what's in the dish. We love the dish, but we don't like the scallop corn. And, uh, and it's always one of those things that takes forever to make. And so it's just, you know, and who's going to make this dish? Who is going to make this recipe? And uh, so you like it, you don't like it. It's kind of one of those traditions. And we're always going to have it, even if it never gets eaten. It does get eaten. It's, it, it is just one of those traditions. And, and that's what family is about. That's what holidays are oftentimes uh, about, is these, these traditions that uh, are meaningful to us uh, because they draw us together. And while we're telling our stories And eating our meal uh, we share a bond with one another and as our families grow it can be a bit of a challenge because we want not only do we have these old traditions that are passed down but as we add new people to our family as we add more chairs uh, to our table we're going to add new traditions right we're going to add new things to the holiday and they become They become traditions. They become part of who we are. They become part of our story. And that's kind of what I want us to get a taste of a little bit this morning as we continue on in our study of uh, the book of Acts, as we dare to be the church, and we allow this radical hospitality that the church is all about to make our strangers into our neighbors and our neighbors into our family. And so if we're going to carry out that vision, if we're, going to, if we're going to be hospitable to those who are around us, and right now they might be strange to us, as they come and are a part of our family and we add more chairs to the table, they're going to bring some things to the table that are maybe like, well, that's... I invited you here to my house, uh, but we also want to respect as they come into our house, as they come around their table they're going to bring some things that maybe are a little bit different. They're going to affect our traditions, but it's a part of their story. And so this is what we see that is a challenge to the church in the book of Acts. Uh, as, as we dare to be the church and open up our doors and our hearts, our fellowship is going to look and feel different. It's going to look and feel different. Now, this is now where we have come in Acts. As we've, we've witnessed, first of all, The presence of God that comes in power and establishes a missional church that will go into dark places in the world. That was our our first sermon uh, in this series. This first look at these disciples as, as Jesus leaves, he commissions them and he gives them his presence so that they can go into the dark world and take this message. And then this radical hospitality where all of the believers had everything in common and they shared with everybody that had need. And then as a result of this unique thing, persecution happens because it looks different, okay? We're already starting to talk about traditions there. Persecution happens, and then the people of God go into, they spread out into the world, and they take this message with them. And as they do, through this dispersion, they, those who are lost become found and experience life transformation and are baptized. And so now, what do we do? What do we do when these, those who are lost and are now found? What will our community or what will our family begin to look like? And I think the deeper question for us is, how will we feel about that? How will we as a church feel when those who are lost are now found and are a part of our family? How are we going to feel about the, the, the strangeness? The differences, the uniqueness that happens. Let's uh, start looking at uh, the book of Acts, and we're going to start at um, uh, chapter nine. After Paul, who was lost, and is found. Remember that we ended with that story of of Paul, who or Saul, who come and Ananias comes to see him. And heals him of his blindness, and then he's baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul sent several, spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God, which is, that's new to him. Because he's been fighting that the whole time, and now it's brand new, and he can't wait to tell this story. He's excited about this newfound faith that he has, and he begins to tell this story. He's going to his own people, and he begins to tell this new thing. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners and uh, to the chief priests? In other words, they're skeptical. They're concerned about this man who was the persecutor of the church, and they're worried about his presence with them now. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through the opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, Uh, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Here is this man who had been the persecutor of the church, and people are still scared of him, and rightly so, to the point where the, the believers that knew something about Saul and knew about his conversion, they protected him. They came around him and they said, let's, let's pull you out of this situation for a while so that this, this murmuring, this, this persecution, this, these threats on your life, they can calm down. I think the point here that we can gather from this is if we're going to dare to be the church, uh, uh, we will welcome those who were once lost into our community. Even with all of the concerns that we might have even with the skepticism that we might carry with us. This was too much for the community at this moment, and how can you blame him? It's going to take some time for people to trust this man, but thankfully, there were those who would encourage him. And then the text goes on to say in Acts chapter 10, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the, at the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter." He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel had spoke to him and had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one with the attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, if we think that the church was having difficulty welcoming their own people, there is now a greater challenge. Did you catch what was going on? Cornelius was... A centurion. He was a Roman soldier. He was not only a Gentile, somebody who was on the outside, but this man represented the enemy to all of the Jews. This new church that was till uh, till now has really included, only really included those who are a part of this Jewish family, is now beginning to open up wider and include people who they would struggle with. Now, I, I want to I pause here for a minute and I just want to talk about those differences because I think they're lost on us uh, because we, we have not been raised with these kind of traditions. But I think if we understand these things, we might understand how our traditions, how our practices, uh, the way that we do things are going to be foreign to those who are strangers. And we're going to hold tightly onto those things and as soon as We change those because our our congregation becomes newer and stranger. It's going to make it uncomfortable for us. Jesus was a Jew. We knew this. And all his disciples, disciples were as well. Jesus came to his own people primarily because it was from the Jews that the gospel would be sent out. Now, these Jews were set apart and holy. They were God's chosen people. And they knew this. Circumcision was the mark that separated them from everybody else in the world. God gave them this mark so that they would be different. They would be called apart. And so they had all kinds of rules and regulations that separated them. They had dietary laws. No bacon. Boo. (laughs) They had Sabbath laws that said take a day off. I like that. We can talk about that another time. It's one of my favorite topics, but it's one of the things that I have to, str- to struggle with a lot. And it is something that Jesus would come against the Pharisees about. They were to remain clean, which they were not allowed to touch blood, and no dead bodies, and no disease. And they were not allowed to associate with the Gentiles. In fact, today, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you cannot step into this sanctuary. They would, they, even today, would not uh, dirty their feet by coming into the worship of some other religion, some other faith. But this, and this people, the thing that probably, in my thought, that sets them apart more than any other people in the world is that God has given them a blessing so that they might be a blessing into the world. And we've talked about that before. Go to Genesis chapter 5. 12 and read it in verses 1 through 3, that God has blessed this nation that started with Abraham and blessed them in a way that they might be a blessing to the entire world. And they lost this. They lost this vision. And and there was a time when, as the prophets had warned, they would be exiled away from this land that God had shown them and given them They forgot their mission. So as God had spoken through Solomon, he sent them away from the land. And then Ezra and Nehemiah, you can read their story and how they brought the law back into focus. And they they realized, okay, we don't want this to happen ever again to us. So we're going to be people of the text. We're going to be devoted to the word of God so that we are not sent back out into exile anymore. And they longed uh, they would, their return was never complete, however. they would always live in submission and oppression to another empire and started with Babylon and then Persia and then the Greeks and then the Romans. they never really ever had their own land and that's what they longed for, a day when God would restore their kingdom and rescue them from their oppressors. And so during this time they set up the synagogue as where they would worship, and not just worship, but where they would teach the Torah. And they established leaders in those synagogues called called the Pharisees, who were devoted to the text. They were devoted to keeping the Word of God and keeping the laws that are written so that that exile would not happen ever again. And it's quite noble, actually, if you think about it. They did not want to dirty themselves or make themselves unclean and to protect themselves and guard themselves so that that would not ever happen again to them. And before we judge the Pharisees too quickly, let's, let's think about their motives. Their devotion was out of their love for God and their people, and they saw their position as one that served the nation of Israel that they loved to keep them devoted to God. They were protectors. They were guardians. But why does it seem, then, that Jesus would always challenge that devotion? And we can spend another series sometime talking about the challenges they they have, because in their zeal to remain clean or to behave a certain way, they still forgot their mission. And what is that? They are blessed to do what? They are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. They didn't give space for those who did not have access to God, to have a chance to come close, to have a chance to be a part of their community, and to be transformed by the love of God. They forgot this. And so he would challenge their Attitude toward the tax collectors and the sinners. He would challenge their prejudices against prostitutes and adulterers. He He would challenge them and shame them because of the lack of access that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would give to those who were lame and crippled and blind. And they would never come in contact with somebody who was leprous or unclean, but Jesus would touch them. And even the Samaritan and the Gentile, Jesus would challenge these devoted to God and say, You are missing the mark. You're missing the point. So, the question that I think that, the second question I think that we have to wrestle with when we consider how we are the church and we need to dare to be the church is, is there anyone that I am limiting access to God? Is there a way in which our church is limiting the access of people that are on the outside from having, having a presence among us? Because of prejudice, because of fear, maybe even because of our tradition. The, the book of Acts will go on to talk about this, in starting at verse 9 in Acts 10, about noon the following day as they were on their journey. Here is Cornelius' Cornelius's servants and Peter. Approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet was let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Smell bacon, Peter. It's good for you. (laughs) Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And this is so key the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. Well, that that was a huge moment for Peter because here is this man who is so devoted to his faith and now devoted to Jesus and he is being challenged by Jesus. The thing that you have been Saying has been unclean, I have, I, have, I have said that's not unclean any longer. Don't think for a moment that I have not blessed those things. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests, which is beautiful. That would be something that would be unusual for a Jewish man to say, come into my house. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While, ta- while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask, why have you sent for me? Now, I just want to pause right there for a minute and not pass over this question too quickly because this, Peter could have just taken control of the situation. He could have taken control of the situation and say, this is how you need to live. This is what you need to do. But instead, Peter paused in this moment and he wanted to get to know those people. He wanted to get to know those strangers. He wanted to know their story and what brought them to that place. Three days ago, I was in my house praying. Uh, I'm sorry, lost my place. Uh, Yes, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Sent to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Cornelius told the story, and Peter sat in his seat and listened to every word that he told him. And it wasn't just because Peter had received this vision on his roof. It was Cornelius that convicted Peter and said, Now I know. Now I know. Then I need to accept you and everyone else like you. You are strange to me and you practice different things, but I want to welcome you into my space. And then Peter goes and he tells them about Jesus, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Now, now Peter gets an opportunity to tell, take Cornelius' story, and he tells Jesus' story, and they interact. And then starting at verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus, then uh, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. As soon as these two stories intersect, it creates a brand new story, and it allows the Holy Spirit to move in that room and change lives not just cornelius and his household but to change peter's life too this leader of the church it changed his life And if we are going to dare to be the church we will welcome those who once we saw as our enemies for the gospel to spread god wanted peter to come face to face with the enemy that the jews hated how important is that And how often do we run away from those opportunities to face that individual? And this is a good reason, if you think about it for a minute, the Romans are going to come in just a decade or so later, and they're going to tear down this last temple. And the temple will be no more in Jerusalem. I believe that the Jews and the early Christians saw this coming. Paul would write about this. Peter would write about this. They were living in fear of this. And yet, and yet, something is happening here within the church in the midst of all of that concern and worry. We aren't being asked to compromise anything, folks. We're not going to compromise our message. We're not going to compromise the truth of the gospel. These remain the same but we can't allow our traditions or our familiarity with practices become a barrier that keeps people out. We need to be like those early disciples who who brought their friend who was lame on a mat, and they couldn't get into the house, and you know what they did? They got up on the roof, and they tore a hole in the roof. Talk about distracting that fellowship. There's all kinds of stuff that falls down from the ceiling, and they tear a hole in the roof to get their friend to Jesus. That's the kind of attitude that we ought to have as a church. We're going to break down all of these barriers so that the gospel can reach even the strangers, even the enemies. The gospel liberates us from the chain of wounds and needs by revealing to us a compassion that can do more than react out of the needs that grow from our wounds. It does so by bringing us into contact with the acceptance that precedes any other human acceptance or rejection. This original love is all-embracing. It holds the power to love enemies as well as friends. This is the love that makes us the beloved sons and daughters of God. I look at that and I think, who are my enemies? I mean, that's, that's a question I think we, can, we should ask. Uh, we asked before, who am I keeping away from having access to? How would I feel this morning if people walked into this sanctuary that I don't want to see anymore in my life? How would I deal with that? I I don't know. I think we all have people like that in our lives that we just don't want to see them anymore. And God is saying, they're welcome there too. And he's challenging us. To have open hearts like Peter. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that's true. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Did you hear what Jesus just said? To be children of your Father in heaven, You have to do this. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. If we think for a moment that the reason we have good things happening in our lives is because we're doing so good, just wait another day. Things will change. Good and bad happens for all people. We don't live a prosperity gospel just because we're doing good things to expect to be blessed. And there are going to be people, there are going to be times where we're going to look at other people in the world and we think, why, why are they, they seem to be so blessed and living such wonderful lives and yet their lives don't show any goodness at all. This is just the world that we live in. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's just going to happen. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. In Luke chapter, 35, uh, chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus will say, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great And you will be children of the Most High God. There it is again. When you love your enemies, whose child will you be? Because he is kind and ungrateful to the wicked. That doesn't seem fair. That I have a hard time with. Yes, Lowell, I will welcome the lost. (laughs) Yes, I will welcome even the enemy. But what I don't want you to do is mess up my Thanksgiving table. I don't want you to change anything here. I want my stuffing the way that I want my stuffing at my Thanksgiving table. My question is, how am I affected by the strange story of the other person that doesn't know anything about stuffing but brings unique and strange dishes to my table? Later in Acts chapter 15, we we read about... Paul and Barnabas. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. See, they're still holding on to those practices. They're still holding on to those traditions. And the book of, uh, the letter of Galatians will talk even more about that. Read that if you have an opportunity. Uh, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about the question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up And said, These Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. In other words, they need to live the way that we do, and they need to have the same practices that we do. Then the apostles and elders met to consider this question, and after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, if we are going to dare to be the church, we will embrace their story and allow it to be our story. Mother Teresa diagnosed the world's ills in this way. We have just forgotten that we belong to one another. And that's where the early, what the early church was struggling with, and I think that's something that we struggle with. When we see people that are different than us, that live a different type of a life than we do, and we're trying to welcome them in, we're very much, I think, can be very much like this early church that says, now you need to conform to our ways and our actions. And that's not what God is asking them to do. He's transforming but the only way that they're going to be transformed and we are going to be transformed is if we continue to be radically hospitable, that we make strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. And, we be, and when we do this, we're going to look different, church. We're going to, Living Stones is going to look different than it does today. And we've seen this happen in the past, and some of you, your stories reflect that. Don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget where you used to be. And it's going to take a li- get a little uncomfortable for us around here. It won't be the same. Our table is going to look different, and the stories we are going to tell are going to be strange to us. But when we welcome others, instead of being bothered by strangeness, we put down our busyness. We ask good questions. We engage in active listening and value the story that brought this person to our family. And then what happens is that story interacts with our story and it interacts with God's story and we begin to craft a new story that makes a difference in our community, right? It's kinship. So tell me your story. I mean, that's uh, there's a lot of people here. I'm not asking right now to tell me your story. But what I want you to do, and want to encourage us as a church this morning, is to think about our own story. How did you get here to this point in your life? How have you come to this place where you are with Jesus Christ? What is that story? Tell that story. And I'd love, and I really would love to hear it. We're we're coming in. We're going to round the corner and come into uh, our our Christmas season. And what I would really love to do, the the theme of our uh, Christmas series is the Christmas story. anybody seen that movie with Ralphie? You're going know, to shoot your eye out with that BB gun. Uh, it's it's a cute story. It's a fun story. But it is a story nonetheless. And as part of that story, I would love to be able. For us to share, how did I come to this place where I know Jesus? What is it that has been a part of who I am, my past, my present, that brings me to this place today? And intersects with God's good story that has transformed your life. So if you're brave enough, share those stories with me. Uh, We would love to hear those stories. And recognize that that story is a part of the Living Stones family. You are welcome. Do you know this? I think many of us do. Your story is a part of our greater story. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for drawing us together this morning where we can uh, come around your word, and we can continue to be challenged to, to be the church that you have called us to be. That we, can, uh, uh, that we can open up our hearts and welcome the stranger, maybe even the enemy, the perceived enemy into our midst. So that our table will grow, we can add more chairs And we welcome all into this family. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.